Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Rays blank the Nationals 1-0 on Tuesday to finish the series sweep against them and win their fifth game in a row, but a one nothing game. There's a lot more to the story than just that. It was not a boring event. Nathan Avaldi uh, takes a no-hitter into the sixth inning. A benches-clearing incident at the end of the game. A pitcher plays first base. We'll have all that and more today on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Marty St. Louis gets his call to the Hockey Hall of Fame on his first try. He's the first player to predominantly play most of his career with the Lightning to make it into the Hall. Of course, Dave Anderchuk made it in last year as captain of the 0304 Stanley Cup winning team. The Lightning sign a restricted free agent. USF finds an AD, or sorry, the VP of Athletics, as he checks off all their boxes, including local ties, experience, and no baggage. The Bucks announced their training camp schedule, and only six practices are open to the public, as you must be a season ticket holder now to get into some of those practices. And today we'll air part two of our interview with Andy Free, the Rays play-by-play guy. He's going to talk about meeting Dave Wills for the first time, how he almost became the voice of the Angels, and that 2008 magical run to the World Series where they lost to the Phillies in five games. All that and more coming up today on Sports Day Tampa Bay, a busy show and still no news on Jameis Winston. I'm Steve Versnick filling in for Rick Stroud. And before we get started today, I'm going to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and you'll get a free 30-day trial membership. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to Sports Day Tampa Bay, you'll get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com. That's spelled A-U-D. I-B-L-E trial.com slash sports day to take advantage of this deal. Now, Audible is owned by Amazon and has more than 180,000 titles you can choose from. Plus, you own the books once they've been downloaded. You can even listen to them offline. That's audibletrial.com slash sports day for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook. So a busy show today on Sports Day Tampa Bay as the Rays won 1-0 today over the Nationals to sweep that quick two-game series. They've had three shutouts of their last four games, six shutouts in their last 28 games, as since they've gone to the opener role, they have the best ERA in baseball. They've pitched 23 consecutive scoreless innings now as that game ended. Nathan Avaldi in the game, he had five-plus no-hit innings until the sixth inning when Bryce Harper hit a double, almost a home run to Crawford's cutout there in left field, just barely. But one of the things I want to touch on is we talk a lot about the Rays' base running issues, and they have plenty of them. But it was interesting to see the Nationals, and particularly Bryce Harper, have a really bad day on the base path today. In the fourth inning, he was on first base. Rendon was on second base, and it was a double steal was called. But uh, Rendon missed the call. So he's stranded now between second and third because he did not go, and Bryce Harper went to second. Bryce Harper should have gone back to first and got in a rundown so that Rendon could either get back to second or possibly have a chance at third. But instead, Bryce Harper just stood on second base and let Wilson Ramos go out and tag Anthony Rendon. In the sixth inning, he hits a shot to left field, thinks it's a home run. It's just about a foot or two to the right of the Crawford cutout, hits off the wall. If he's running out of the box, that's a triple. But no, he was showboating and watching, and he ends up with a double there. And in the ninth inning, there's one out. He's on second base. There's a runner on first as well. When Daniel Murphy hits a a bloop to left field, 
Bryce Harper could have easily scored from second base there, but he stopped at third base, ends up loading the bases, and the Rays get out of the jam of Sergio Romo. He gets the final two outs for the save, and then some fireworks after that. But let's go through the ninth inning. Jose Alvarado comes on to face the first batter, a left-hander. He gets him out. Kevin Cash then comes out and talks to the umpire. And he's talking for a while, and you're kind of going, what's going on here? You know, Normally a double switch or something like that doesn't take that long. Did they bat out of order, the Nationals? That sure, sure didn't seem like it, but possibly the lineup card was messed up. But why you waited till the ninth inning to say that, I don't know. But it turns out Alvarado goes from pitching mound to play first base. Jake Bowers goes to left field. And then Chaz Rowe comes in to face the right-handed batter. So now you've got Alvarado at first base. Jake Bowers is playing left field. You've lost your DH at this point by doing this. And... Alvarado's at first base, and, and Bryce Harper's standing on first base. So he's holding him on, which I'm not sure why Bryce, another base running error, why wouldn't Bryce Harper try to run on him or force the issue or force a throw over to first base at least, where Alvarado may not be so sure hand, or maybe the Rays don't even throw over. I mean, he could probably have bigger leads and a chance to go to second there. So Anthony Rendon's at the plate, and as Alvarado's covering first base, there's a pop fly right over the raised first base dugout. Alvarado's going over to field, and you're just thinking, oh, no, don't let something happen. It turns out it went out of play. But you're pretty sure that a ball's going either to Alvarado at first or Jake Bowers in left field. Now, Jake Bowers had played some outfield at Durham and played left field specifically, so it's not un- totally uncomfortable for him. But it turns out Anthony Rendon strikes out. So now then you bring Alvarado back to pitch as Johnny Field goes into the outfield. And then Jose Alvarado comes back to pitch, but he gives up two singles to load the bases. The one on Bryce Harper should have scored to tie the game at 1-1. So now the bases are loaded with one out, and Sergio Rono comes in to replace Alvarado. He gets Trey Turner to fly out to Carlos Gomez, and then Michael Taylor strikes out to end the game. And after that strikeout, Sergio Romo walks up towards Taylor, screaming at him, and then the bench is clear. Davey Martinez comes out. All the Rays come out. Chaz Rowe was kind of the first Rays player out. Nothing happened. It was just a lot of talking. But apparently, when the Rays played in Washington three, four weeks ago, Michael Taylor stole a base in the sixth or seventh inning up 9-2, to two, and Sergio Romo didn't like that. And so he then today, after he struck him out, had some choice words for him. I personally think if you don't want someone to steal a base, then hold them on. If you don't want them to score, then stop them. In the sixth inning, seven runs, yeah, the game's getting out of hand, but it's not over yet. I mean, the Rays scored 11 runs on Monday night against the Nationals, including six in one inning. Seven runs at the sixth inning, you still got at least nine outs to get. I think you still got to play the game. I, I don't. I know the unwritten rules of baseball, and I, you know, if it's the ninth inning and the team's basically given up and it's seven runs, okay, that's one thing. But in the sixth inning, no game's over when it's only six or seven runs. Odds are you're going to win. If you're up 9-2, but there's no guarantee of that. you gotta, you got to play. Make them stop you. You don't want them to steal a base? Hold them on. But the Rays do escape. one nothing win again over the Nationals. That's five games in a row now over the Yankees and the Nationals, two of the better teams in baseball. They now have Wednesday off. Thursday, the Astros come to town for a four-game series, maybe the best team in baseball. Ryan Stanek likely to get the start for the Rays on Thursdays. The Rays are now just one game below 500 again. And here's the interesting part. And one of our Twitter followers, Sam, had tweeted us about this, and I'll correct it just a little bit. But after this Astro series this weekend, from July 2nd until August 12th, the Rays play two teams with records above 500. The Yankees will come back to the trop, and then the Angels will come to the trop as well. And they're just a couple games above 500. We all know that the Rays' record against teams below 500 is exceptionally well. They're playing around 650, 700 baseball. 
if the next month and a half of schedule is mostly against teams below 500, if you can keep close to that pace, maybe if you only play 600 baseball against those teams, now the Rays are going to be six, seven games above 500, and now you're back in the playoff hunt. You're back in that second wild card hunt. Can Seattle keep their pace up, or are they going to fall back a little bit? I think the Astros win the AL West. I think Boston and New York continue to do what they're doing, and the East Cleveland will win the Central. The question is, can Seattle keep up doing what they're doing? They play very good defense. They don't really make mistakes. They, don't, they win a lot of one-run games. Can they keep that up? That'll be the big question. And if they can't, then the second wild card is in play. But the Rays, for the next month and a half, have to do what they do, and that's beat up on the teams they're supposed to win. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes going forward. Meanwhile, Marty St. Louis gets his call to the Hockey Hall of Fame. This was his first year of eligibility. Of course, the first player to play primarily his whole entire career for the Lightning going into the Hall. Dave Anderchuk last season, captain of the 0304 team, was in the Hall. But obviously, most of his career was played elsewhere, particularly Buffalo and several other teams as well. He was the first number retired for the Bolts at Amelie Arena, number 26 up in the rafters in January of 2017. He won three Lady Bing trophies during his career, two Art Ross trophies for the highest scoring player, including at age 37. He was the MVP of the 0304 season. And of course, who can forget Game 6 in Calgary, double overtime, his goal to force Game 7, the Stanley Cup, which was played here in Tampa, in which the Lightning won 2 to nothing behind Ruslan Fedotenko's two goals, and the Lightning hoist the Stanley Cup for the first time in franchise history. Well-deserved honor for Marty St. Louis, pretty much expected by everybody that he would get this call this year. Kind of set the stage for the guys that are a lot of what the Lightning players are today. More of the undersized, smaller forwards, a lot of grit, a lot of skill, a lot of speed, but not quite that size anymore. And he was really kind of the standard bearer from that. I mean, every team passed him over. He was undrafted out of Vermont, started with Calgary. They let him go. He had interest from several teams, but chose the Lightning feeling he would get a better shot to play in the NHL here. And it worked out for definitely for Tampa Bay. And it worked out for Marty St. Louis as well, who credits Tampa Bay for, you know, his whole career. So a great honor for the Lightning and for Marty St. Louis. It'll be two years in a row that a a big-time Lightning player will be into the Hockey Hall of Fame, which is wonderful news. And, of course, he's getting congratulations from everyone from Dave Andrichuk to Steven Stamkos and many others from the organization. The Lightning also made a move today. They signed J.T. Miller to a five-year contract worth $26.25 million. That comes out to an average annual cap hit of $5.525 million. J.T. Miller was a restricted free agent who was given a qualifying offer yesterday. He scored 10 goals and 8 assists in 19 games with the Lightning after he was traded in the Ryan McDonough deal from the New York Rangers at the trade deadline. He'll now be the fourth highest played player on the Lightning this season behind Stamkos, Hedman, and Andre Pallott at $5.25 million. Tyler Johnson right behind him at $5 million. Meanwhile, the Lightning get to their chance to make their pitch to John Tavares out in L.A., he, of course, is the unrestricted free agent to be from the New York Islanders, who is allowing five teams plus the Islanders to meet with him in L.A. this week to decide where he may want to sign a contract. Tavares is a longtime friend of Steven Stamkos. They played together as, when they were young, still remain good friends to this day. The Lightning, of course, have a team built to win now. So the Lightning are in L.A. to make their pitch to him on Wednesday. No word of when John Tavares may make a decision, whether he will become an unrestricted free agent and or who he may sign with. USF makes a big hire as they announce their new athletic director, or now they're calling him the VP of Athletics. Michael Kelly is the choice. He was, for the last five and a half years, the COO of the college football playoff. He did work at USF back in 2001-2002. He was also an associate commissioner of the ACC for six years and head of the host committee for some Super Bowls here in Tampa Bay. He checks all the boxes that the search committee talked about on Monday. They wanted someone with experience. They wanted someone with local ties. 
and they wanted someone that had no baggage to them. And particularly kind of referring to Tom Jurich, who had been rumored for the job. And some boosters are upset Tom Jurich is not getting the job. Jurich was the former athletic director at Louisville, who has done some great things there and helped them move up in conferences, very well respected around the college community. But of course, they had a lot of trouble while he was there. He hired Bobby Petrino back after his problems at Arkansas, and more particularly was there when Rick Petino had the stripper scandal and other scandals there, which cost him his job, and Jurich eventually left as well. Jurich does live in Clearwater, but obviously USF decided they were going to go with this. Our Tom Jones column today in the, in the Tampa Bay Times talked about this is a safe hire. Maybe a good hire. Time will tell. Jurich could have been a home run, but could have had some problems too. But Michael Kelly seems to be a, a really good fit. A lot of praise coming today, including from Rob Higgins. Rob Higgins, of course, was one of the names being rumored to be a candidate for the job when it first came open, but he pulled out pretty quick. His quote, this isn't a great hire. It's more than that. It's the perfect hire. I couldn't be more excited for where USF Athletics is headed with Michael Kelly at the helm. Team Tampa Bay just got even stronger. That was his tweet today. So USF has their athletic director now. He's got a plate full, of course, as the basketball program still rebuilding, getting a football practice facility on campus, and then possibly working for an on-campus stadium, which is going to require a lot of money and arm twisting and a lot of other things. So he'll have his work cut out for him. He, of course, is replacing Mark Harlan, who resigned earlier this month after four years to take the same position at Utah. Meanwhile, in Bucks news, and no, we have no update on Jameis Winston from the NFL, but the Bucks announced their training camp schedule today, including six practices that will be open to the general public. Now, you may say six. In the past, haven't they had a lot more? Yes. Last year, they had 13 practices open to the public, but this year, only six, as some of the practices, or a majority of them, are going to be open only to season ticket members, or more specifically, some of them to club members only, and others just to private events. They have a military day out there as well, so many of the practices are going to be closed now. As ticket sales can be more challenging for teams at times, they're trying to create more events and exclusive access only for season ticket members to entice you to buy those type of packages instead of just individual games or on the secondary market. The Bucks doing the same. This is not uncommon in the NFL as other teams have done this, particularly Seattle and others, where if you're a season ticket member, you're going to get more access, closer access, and probably with less people there because it's only season ticket members to some of these training camp practices. The first one open to the public, though, will be July 29th, and there'll be six of them total that anyone can go to. Parking will continue to be free at the events. They do ask you to go online and get free tickets through their website so they can kind of judge how many people will be at each event each day so they can plan for that. And now we'll wrap up today's episode of Sports Day Tampa Bay as Rick Stroud, who's on vacation, Spoke with Andy Freed last week, the Rays play-by-play announcer for the last 14 seasons. And yesterday's episode, we talked through kind of his past and how he got to where he is and through his minor league journey and meeting his wife along the way and, and doing that. Today, we're going to get into him meeting Dave Wills for the first time, which was at FanFest, actually, after they were both hired. Talked about how he almost became the Angels play-by-play guy a few years prior, which meant he would not have been here. And then he's going to rem- reminisce about the 08 season in which the Rays shocked the world, went to the World Series, and happened to lose to the the Phillies in five games. But as he'll tell you, the Phillies were the best team that week. The Rays were the best team that season. So enjoy part two of our interview with Andy Freed from the Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays job, I mean, you and and Dave Wills didn't know each other, right? Um, This was sort of, I don't know, was it like like a blind audition, if you will, or – uh, and there also was no designated, you know, play-by-play man, and this this person's doing the color. Yep. I mean, you ended up you ended up actually splitting the duties, and still do today, right? Well, and I'll tell you why we do that. Uh, that all came from John Miller. 
Um, the way it was for me, I, I went to, I was spent five years in double A with, with Trenton and went to Pawtucket and was four years there. Um, I had gotten really close to getting a job with the angels, uh, in 2002, I had my first major league interview, uh, with the angels in January of 2002. Um, and I felt, you know, the way we all feel when you feel like an interview went well, you feel like you're, you're high almost, you know, I, I interviewed with four different people. It was in a major league ballpark. I got the tour. You know, I met all the higher-ups. It seemed like it went great. Um, and I came home and, you know, on pins and needles after one year of AAA ball, and I'm, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and you get that phone call, and they said, hey, we, we thought it went great. We, we all really had a wonderful time meeting you. We think you're a terrific young broadcaster with a very bright future, but we're going to go in a different direction. Uh, and I, I was, was, was kind of crushed. I mean, I, I thought at that point in time, that uh, that was my shot, and I blew it. Somehow, some way, I blew it. And the notion that I kept having over and over again was, and this sounds like a silly analogy, but I can remember when, when, when David Letterman had his morning show at NBC, and it failed, and it didn't work. Um, I remember him saying, and this is exactly what I felt, that I blew it, and I have to go back to the, to the end of the line again and start all over. And what I remember... It, it, if I ever meet David Letterman, I'll tell him this, and I don't know if I ever will, probably not. But what he didn't realize and what I didn't realize was that he was actually getting closer to something better in his life. And I thought that I had failed and I had to go back to the end of the line, but what I didn't realize was I was actually getting closer to something. You know, when, you, when you meet that sort of failure in life, it, it hurts and it stings and it, it, it bashes you down. But I didn't realize I actually was getting closer, but I didn't feel like it because I didn't get another job opportunity until the Rays came along. Uh, and that was uh, after the 2004 uh, season uh, in Pawtucket. And to be honest with you, Rick, I, 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 you know, you can tell hopefully from, from this interview, I love doing this. I, I love it, I love it, love it. But I was getting a little burned out uh, in mm-hmm. being in the minor leagues. And I love the minor leagues. I think they're a, a wonderful laboratory learning ground how to do this. But there does come a point when I wasn't in my early 20s and single anymore. I was right. in my early 30s, and I had a wife, and I had a mortgage, and I had a daughter. Um, and I was starting to learn that most valuable lesson that we all have to learn in life, that it's about a balance. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's your career, but it's, it's about making a life for yourself. And it was getting harder and harder to make ends meet. Um, and I was working year-round. I was doing you know, Providence College stuff in the off-season, and I'd pick up a football gig here, and I'd pick up, pick up this gig there, and just to make it work, because none of us in the minor leagues are making much money. You know, and if you want to have some sort of a life and make a life for your family, then you, you ultimately have to earn, earn a little bit better. And I've never been money-oriented, really, but there does come a, a practicality. When those bills come at the end of the month, you've know, you, you, you got to make those payments. So when the raise came along uh, and I sent my tapes out, and I'd been sending tapes out for years. I'd been sending tapes to major league teams from the time that I was in college. Um, and I you know, had the interview with the Rays, and I went down there, interviewed with Rick Vaughn and with Matt Silverman and Larry McCabe um, and, and, and Dave Auker, who was there at the time, and John Brown, who was there at the time, and it felt just like the interview with the Angels. It felt wonderfully. It just felt great. I can remember there was a moment in my job interview with, with the Rays, and remember, this is still under the Vince Namoli ownership. You know, That's Sue's right. crew with Matt and Andrew weren't really fully in charge yet. And I can remember in the middle of my interview with uh, Dave Auker, he goes, you know, I, I got to stop this right in the middle. 
And I'm, I had no idea what he was doing. He goes, we got to go down the hall. And I went down the hall, and he introduced, he goes, Andy Freed, meet Andrew Friedman. And we both started cracking up. I didn't know who Andrew was, and obviously he didn't know who I was, but they thought it was funny that we had almost the same name. Uh, that, that was the first time I ever met Andrew. Um, so, you know, you walk away from this interview feeling like it went great. You know, we connected. We had some funny moments. It, it felt wonderful. And I went back home to Pawtucket and, uh, and didn't hear from the Rays for a while. Um, and they had said that we're going we're gonna to let you know, you know, by the end of whatever week it was, uh, what our, our decision was. And um, I can remember reading in the newspaper that I was down to like the final five, but you know who knows if that's true, if that was true or not. But um, the Rays didn't call, and, it, and it, they didn't call for several days. And I, that weekend, it was the last weekend in January of, of '05. I, I was I was miserable, and my wife was too. We, we couldn't sleep. You know, we we were just obsessed with is this going to happen or not? And if it's not going to happen, just let us know, uh, so at least we can move on. So I ended up calling the Rays one morning. And said, hey, you know, basically said that. I said, I, I, I kind of need to know something here. My, my bosses need to know. This is just about February. They need to know if they know. So I, I kind of need to know one way or another. And um, apparently they had called the house right when I left for work. It was February 1st of 2005. And I had just left for work. Um, and Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They didn't... They... They didn't call me at work. They just called me at the house. Um, so I, I was waiting to find out all day what was going on. And then mm. finally, right at the end of the workday, I can tell you exactly, Rick, this sounds obsessive, I know, but it was 3.58 in the afternoon on uh, February the 1st of 05. And uh, I was down the hall in, in the Pawtucket offices and uh, got the, on the CB, we had like a little intercom system. They said, Andy, the, the, the Rays are on the phone. I was like, oh, holy crap. Let me, uh, okay, let me clear my head. I ran back to the offices, and I can remember our assistant general manager said, calm down, get, take a breath, get a hold of yourself, and I, I, I will only then give you the telephone. <laughs> so I did, I took a breath, I went into the office, um, I closed the door, it was like in like the copier room, you know, you, you picture the office where, the, where all the copiers sure. and the fax machine and <laughs> everything was. And I closed the door, and, and he goes, hey, Dave Walker with the Rays, uh, then with the devil rays. And, uh, we, I just want to tell you, we thought you were great. We, we loved the interview. We think, I mean, it was like verbatim exactly what the angels had said to me. And I'm, I, my eyes were closed. I can tell you that for sure. Cause I felt the, butt coming, I felt the, you know, we thought you were great, but, but, but he didn't, he goes, we thought you were great. And, and I remember opening my eyes and he goes, and we'd love to have you come work for us and be voice of the, of the Tampa Bay devil rays. And uh, I, I was shaking. I was shaking. I still, I had a yellow notepad in front of me, prepared to write down whatever, you know, whatever they were going to be offering. And, um, and of course, like I was going to be a hard bargain, whatever they were going to offer, I was going to take. And, um, and I still had that piece of paper. And all it is, is like squiggly lines and, and handwriting that tails off because I, I was shaking so much, I could not write. 
and he said, you know, this is the deal we, we we're proposing to you, and we would we would just love it. We think it'll be a, a wonderful thing. He didn't even mention Dave at that point. Um, and he said, we'd, we'd love to come, love you, have you come down and, and be a part of this. We think we're, we're going to do something big here. And um, I was shaking, and I thanked him, and I, you know, somehow I thought to myself, you know, we'll talk to Amy first. So I said to him, let me just talk to my wife to make sure, oh, of course, of course, we'll wait to hear back from you and everything. So I went, uh, I, I took a breath, and I was f- holding back tears. I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that. And I uh, opened the door, and the entire office of the Pawtucket Red Sox, it was like, it's like I opened the office, opened the door, and the office like pretended they weren't listening and went back to doing what they were doing, but everybody was was waiting to hear, and I gave just a big thumbs up uh, to the yeah. office, and everybody cheered and came over and hugged me, and uh, it was really an incredible moment, and uh, I went I um, went home, and I, I maybe I'm not manly for saying this, but I bawled my eyes out on. The way home, and the, the the thing about it was, it was it wasn't the moment that I thought it would be. I thought it would be, hey, I got this job, and yes, I was thrilled at that. But what made it so emotional for me was that I felt like I could finally uh, bring that other side of my life, the family part of my life, into balance with my professional life, and I was going to make an actual life for us. Uh, I, I was finally living up to the promise that I made to Amy's parents that I would mm. create a real life for her and for our daughter. Um, so I went home and they were, they were taking a nap as I remember for some reason at four thirty in the afternoon. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I'm like, I need to wake them up. I, I, I was jumping out of my skin and I, uh, and Amy, uh, said, well, what's the deal? And I told her and we were jumping up and down and our then one year old daughter started jumping up and down for some reason. She didn't know what was <laughs> going on, but we had a wonderful celebration. And, uh, before we called anybody, I remember Amy saying, she goes, you know what, let, you know, because a- Amy was, has been a large part of this. Uh, she, she helped me put together my resumes and my tapes and my whole packages of resume materials that I'd send out to these teams. Uh, so she was a very large part of, you know, this was us together. This wasn't right. just me. Um, so she said, you know what, let, let's let this just be our news for a couple hours. And mm. I thought that was really kind of sweet. So we went out to dinner and and we talked about it, and we had a really—it it, was—it was beautiful. It was one of the best days of my life. And then, then we came, you know, back to our house, and we called our parents, and everybody was just so happy. And uh, I, I look back to it, whatever pure joy is, that was it. And we moved to uh, Florida, and I found out that I'd be working with a guy named Dave Wills that that I had never met before. And I met Dave at Fan Fest of 2005. Back, back then, there were two Fan Fest days. Uh, there was, uh, I think it was like a Saturday and a Sunday or, or something right. like that. And mm-hmm. Dave was doing a basketball game, so he, c- he couldn't get there till late. And, uh, and I met him and, and we chatted and I, I don't know how this happens, but we, it was just very instant. As John Lennon said, it was instant karma. You know, it, mm. it worked very well. I liked him. He liked me. Well, we both had young daughters. Uh, we both had similar outlooks. You know, we both had spent time in the minor leagues. And it just felt very natural. It just felt very good. And uh, the same relationship I have with Dave to this day is, I'm telling you, if you'd sat there with us at FanFest in 05, it was very similar. We just, for some reason, connect. And we're very different people. Uh, but for some reason, we, we seem to connect very well with each other. And, uh, you know, when I got this job, I gained a brother. And that's, that's Dave Wills. And I love working with him. And I love, going, I love complaining to him when the team is going bad. And he likes complaining to me. And, We've shared the wonderful moments together and the hard moments together, and 
it's really been, you know, we don't always see eye to eye. We probably argue like brothers from time to time, but it's, there's a lot of trust in that relationship, and I value it tremendously. And Rays fans have benefited from that uh, ever since. You guys are uh, still one of the best, I think, in baseball. And, 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 and covering a team, too, that is, and I don't have to tell you, Rays fans know this, has not always been at the top. In fact, had a lot going against them you know, for many, many years. And shortly after you arrived, um, before long, Joe Madden, you know, of course, was hired. Um, 07 comes. They start playing better at the end of that year. And then a magical season in 2008 um, you were there for two division titles in 2008, 2010, a couple wild cards there. Um, but going back just to the, to the 08 season, just, I mean, did anybody see that coming and what kind of a magic carpet ride was that? Well, I mean, the 08 season really in many ways begins in 05. You know, when Dave and I yeah. got there, it was the last year of the Namoli ownership. Uh, yep. It was a, a strange year because the team was lousy. They knew that they were going to be lousy. It was going to be in the middle of an ownership change. Lou Pinella, who I, I always will only think wonderful thoughts about, because Lou, as miserable as he was that year, and he was, he was very unhappy. You know, even in spring training, his father had died that year, uh, and the team was lousy, and he knew that this dream that he had of making his hometown team a good team was not going to happen. And there were many days that he was, he was just upset, um, and yet he was wonderful to Dave and I. Uh, he was terrific. You could ask Lou anything at any time. He would give you a great answer. He would give you much more of an answer than even you expected. You know, he, would, he would break down baseball for you like not many people I've ever met. Um, and, and so I will always be grateful for him for making my first year and Dave's first year uh, with then the Devil Rays really not only palpable but enjoyable. Uh, but when the, when, the, when the team was sold... You know, when Stu came in and uh, and Matt and Andrew, there there was almost like the lifting of a veil a little bit. The, a little bit of a dark cloud had had gone by. And you know, for people that may not remember, you know, the Devil Rays were such a joke nationally that I can remember Letterman having him be a part of his top ten list. Oh uh, yeah. You know, whenever there would be a, a joke, he would compare him to to the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Uh, you know, I, it really was a, a national joke, but in baseball standards, they were poorly run. They were it, they were they just they weren't going great, and they were constantly getting their brains beat in by the Red Sox and the Yankees, and it was over and over and over. And you know we weren't we knew we weren't going to be good in '06, and we weren't. We were 61 and 101. We knew the team wasn't going to be good in '07, and they weren't. There I think we're 67 and 95, something like that. But there was a sense of something was coming. Uh, you know, there was talent coming within the minor leagues. Um, but if anyone tells you, and, and there's no way that anyone in that front office that was there at the time, they would be lying if they told you that they thought the Rays were going to be in the American League pennant in 2008. But the general sense we had from behind the scenes is that they were looking towards 2010, that they thought that by the 2010 season, all this young talent would come up and finally gel and and, and be a, a competitive team, maybe a wild-card team, by 2010. But as we learned, they jumped the line. You know, they, they suddenly got way better way fast. Uh, Evan Longoria became uh, the most important player in franchise history. He, he developed so quickly and had such an it factor to him and gave us a legitimacy as a rookie so early in 2008. Now, I, I, can, I can remember early in the 08 season, I'm going to say early, I'm going to say around June, 
And you have to know, this is within the framework of a team that had, had been a laughing stock, that we were good, and we, were, we swept the Red Sox early in the 2008 season at home. And I can remember the headline. It wasn't of the then the St. Petersburg Times. It was one of the, I think it might have been the, the Bradenton Herald or, or one of the papers down where I live in Manatee County. And the headline of the paper was, they did what? It was in bold, <laughs> they did what, in a question mark. It was because they had swept the Red Sox. Uh, and it was starting to capture the, the minds of people. I can remember my daughter's kindergarten teacher putting that headline up, and, and she was a big Rays fan, and put, cut out that newspaper and, and put it in her classroom. And I looked at it every day. They did what? They swept the Red Sox. That team can't sweep the Red Sox. And they did. And they, they started to win games in kind of you know, magical waves. You know, I can remember Nathan Haynes. Who's Nathan Haynes? A guy they, called, they signed and called up, and he had a, a walk-off hit against the Red Sox. I remember... Uh, the Rays walked off of Mariana Rivera at home against the Yankees earlier that year. And there was a sense that there was something building. But in, in my mind, really, we were conditioned to be a losing team. There was a sense, too, and I think around baseball, that at some point the other shoe was going to drop. Uh, they can't keep this up. This is a no-name team. Uh, this is not a group that's ever going to be able to compete with the Red Sox and the Yankees. There's, there's just too much disparity in payroll. There's too much disparity in talent. It's not a level playing field. And I can remember going into Joe Madden's office, and of course Joe was the eternal optimist. I can remember going into his office in around June of that year, and I think we had just swept the Angels, you know, his old team. And I can remember bringing up the notion of playoffs. And it almost, in my mind, I almost felt embarrassed to bring it up. Because could we really be a playoff team? At some point, this, this magic carpet ride is going to run out. And, and what people may not realize about Joe is that surely he comes off as a, as a very optimistic guy, but Joe is also a realist. And he, he could tell you uh, exactly what he thought behind the scenes in very, uh, very short terms and very direct-to-the-point terms. And I can remember asking him, you know, do you think we got a shot at the play? Pl- I mean, can we do this? You know, it was getting close to the halfway point of the season. And Joe says, in very serious terms, he goes, I'm at the point now where I'm going to be extremely disappointed if we don't make the playoffs. And that was really eye-opening to me. Uh, he said it very believably. And, and I get the feeling that he would say that to players. And I, I think he, he really helped uh, fortify a belief system in that team. Because let's face it, they were very young and they were very experienced. And you know, Rocco wasn't on the team. Rocco was hurt all year. You know, Crawford was a really good player, but had never really been an, on a winning team before. You know, Evan was a rookie. And I think the veterans on that team, the guys that were there that were at the later stages of their careers, Cliff Floyd, Dan Wheeler, Trevor Miller, uh, Eric Hinsky, I think they helped that team believe in itself when maybe the young guys weren't even sure what was going on. You know, B.J. Upton, another really young guy that would still make young mistakes, uh, and that would happen, and yet they would somehow, because they pitched so darn well, they would win these games. You know, th- th- what needs to happen now with the, with the current Rays is what needs to happen then. You've got to have the pitching, and almost more important than the pitching, your defense. Your defense has to be the, maybe the best in the game, you need, because that's the way you suffocate the other team. You know, the difference between the 07 Devil Rays and the 08 Rays, the biggest difference was the defensive unit that they would put out there. Those ground balls that were sneaking through the infield in 07, and you'd lose a game by a run or two, were suddenly turned into tremendous plays. It was Evan Longoria and Jason Bartlett and Aki Iwamura and Carlos Pena that was the best infield in baseball that year. Those ground balls were not going through anymore. And it was B.J. Upton and Carl Crawford. Nothing got between them in left center field. They would run everything down. 
and suddenly you were winning these games three to two that you used to lose five to two because your defense wasn't good enough. And you know, and, and the bullpen would would kind of let up a runner here, uh, here or there because of a defensive play that wasn't made. The the defense got so much better so fast, and that's why they were suddenly winning these games, you know, four to two and three to nothing when they would lose them by by other margins because it wasn't as strong in years before. So it it, it started to build. I can remember we lost, uh, I think, six games or seven games in a row going into the All-Star break, and there was a real sense of here it comes. We lost two or three against the Yankees. We got swept four in a row in Cleveland leading into the All-Star break. And I can remember going onto the bus after the game in Cleveland, you know, a little bit down. Everybody was down. And there was a sense of, okay, it's, it's happening. What, what everybody is predicting, what ESPN is predicting, what all the New York and media in Boston are predicting, eventually this is going to come crashing down. And I can remember talking to Don Zimmer. He was with us on that trip. And we were on the bus and, and, and saying to him, what, what would you say to this group right now? You know, Don Zimmer, Mr. Everything in Baseball. He'd say, first of all, I'd say it's hard because it's supposed to be hard. This is not supposed to be easy. And there's going to be moments where it feels like it's falling apart. He goes, I would say that you never in a million years thought that you'd be at this position. Let's take a break. Let's, re- let's regroup and come back after the All-Star game ready to kick some, some you-know-what. And I th- that, that kind of got me through the All-Star break a little bit. And because, it was, it, you know, when you think about it, we didn't win for seven days in a row leading into the All-Star break, and then you don't play for four days. So you didn't win a baseball game for nearly two weeks. And you start, you know, not winning, and, and it goes away a little bit. You know, you ride a wave in baseball, winning streaks, and we didn't, we didn't have a win for a long time. Well, lo and behold, the team came out of the All-Star break and played a really tight series against the Toronto Blue Jays. Remember, Evan Longoria hit a grand slam against uh, Roy Halladay. I remember the race had a really tight game against A.J. Burnett and the Blue Jays, outpitched him on one, and I think two to one, and off they were rolling again. And they, they just kept winning. <laughs> and you, you, you learn that the more wins you bank, the less you have to win at the end. And the race got – I wonder if people remember this. You look, you look back on that 08 season and think that it was a, you know, it was a cakewalk. We won 97 games that year. It was not that easy. There was a lot of points that it could have fallen apart in the second half. Everyone on that in that positional roster got hurt and spent time with the DL that year, except for Jason Bartlett. He stayed healthy. Ewa Moore got hurt. Pena got hurt. There was a point in August where Crawford and Longoria were on the disabled list at the same time. So that was really your core, and they were injured a lot in the later parts of that season. In fact, Carl Crawford didn't play for like the last six weeks of that year, but other guys would come up and fill that gap. So when it finally came down to, to it, the question was, could the Rays beat the Red Sox at Fenway Park? Uh, and they hadn't. The Rays lost their first seven games at Fenway Park that year, and that was like the last, the last thing that had, had to happen. You know, you'd go up to Fenway, and the Red Sox were very arrogant, and they had, they had won the World Series in 07, and they had won it in 04, and they were a great team, and they knew it. And they, they did not believe that the Rays could beat them at Fenway Park. And we lost game one of that three-game series in September, and we were losing game two. We had a lead and, and suddenly fell behind. I think Jason Bay had a big two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth off Dan Wheeler on September, I'm going to say September 9th. And we went into the ninth inning, and that position that we had been in so many times, the ballpark's going crazy, they, swing, they sing Sweet Caroline, and Jonathan Papelbon comes in, and he was going to shove it down our throats, and we were going to lose again to the Red Sox. And we were going to wonder, are we ever going to win here? And Dan Johnson <laughs> arrived. Dan Johnson was kind of a journeyman 
uh, player. The Rays had signed him in June. He hadn't been with us all year. He was supposed to be in the starting lineup that night, uh, but because he arrived late, uh, the, you know, his flight was late. He wasn't in the starting lineup. Joe had to make a late change. And Papelbon came in, and Joe said, Johnson, you're going to hit. I think he hit for Fernando Perez, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. And the ballpark's going crazy. And so many times we have just been through this before. And Papelbon threw a fastball to this, to this Dan Johnson. I mean, who was Dan Johnson? Nobody even knew who Dan Johnson was. And he crushed it. And he hit it over the triangle, above the 420 sign in right center field. And I'm telling you, that was the moment where if you're the bully that's gotten sand kicked in your face for years, that was the moment that the race stood up and punched him in the face and knocked him back. The ballpark went dead silent. It went from roaring to silent. And I can remember you could hear the Rays on the bench screaming and yelling from all the way up in the broadcast booth. That's how quiet Fenway got, and that's how loud our, loud our bench got. And the game went extra innings, and the Rays won, and then they came back and won, and I think, 14 innings the next day. And we walked out of there thinking, we can beat the Red Sox now. This team knew that they could beat that team. And ultimately they did in the postseason, and it was the greatest magic carpet ride I've ever been on. And the, the only thing, Rick, that I, I think baseball has had where you could compare it is I, I think the 08 Rays were the 1969 Mets uh, with, with probably less fanfare because they weren't in, the, in New York. The only difference was they didn't win the World Series. And, and, and right. I, I know in my heart of hearts that the Tampa Bay Rays of 08 were the best team in baseball that year. Uh, but, it, you know, maybe it's because we had such a hard-fought series in the league championship series against the Red Sox. I don't know. Maybe, are we, maybe we were spent after that LCS and, and won the pennant. But the Rays did not play a great World Series. It was a weird series. There were some funky bounces, and the weather was weird. But, the look, weather, I, I yeah. can't argue the Phillies. The Phillies were better that week, but the Rays were the best team in baseball that year. And it's a wonderful story. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Steve Versnick filling in for Rick Stroud, who's away on vacation in Hawaii, as he always takes a couple weeks this time of year right before training camp gets underway. And, of course, he'll be immersed in Bucks coverage nonstop for the rest of the, the year. We want to thank you for listening, and please give us your feedback. You can reach Rick on Twitter at NFL Stroud. You can reach the show at Sports Day TB. We love to hear your comments and that. You can get the podcast just about anywhere. If you're not already subscribed to it, you need to do that on your phone or your computer. Go to iTunes, go to Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. Just hit subscribe. That way it downloads to your mobile device or computer every day so you can listen anytime you want, including if you happen to be offline as well because it'll be on your device already. And if you can, leave a comment or share this podcast with someone. Let someone know about it. It would really help us out, and we appreciate it. Thank you again for listening, and have a great Wednesday. 